Welcome back to DC Cinematic Minute, the daily podcast where we analyze Zack Snyder's Justice League by each individual minute. My name is Nathan. You can find me on all social media at NoClutchNate. And my name is Mark. You can find me on all social media at Mark Meadows. Hey, and my name is Rebecca Johnson. I am one of the co-hosts of a podcast called Supergirl Radio, and I have a YouTube channel that you can find some Snyder content on at youtube.com slash duckmilkprod. Perfect. It gets better and better every time with repetition, doesn't it? Yes, it does. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Today, welcome back, Rebecca. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, I love coming and uh, talking to you guys. We we love having you, honestly, 100%. Uh, (laughs) Today, we're talking about minute number 172 of Zack Snyder's Justice League. And this minute is going to start out with a line from Steppenwolf. After he obtains the mother box, he declares that so begins the end. Um, mm-hmm. Very powerful line of dialogue. Very, very cool, honestly. Just real cool. Uh, the minute's going to end with even more coolness uh, with Batman emerging from the smoke and this uh, <laughs> axe-ridden door. Um, very There's coolness cool. in the beginning. There's a coolness at the end. And in the middle is just sadness. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, that line so begins the end. I'm obsessed with it. Uh, because I think had this film been part of that five film arc that Zack Snyder had planned out and that he wanted to achieve, I think this line, there's there's kind of two plays for it. I think this line would have been a good setup for the final two movies because I think this would have been, uh, Zack Snyder Justice League is like the third, I think, in the five film arc. Yes. Um, but uh, but th- this this would have been the, the final push into like the nightmare sequence and then coming out of the nightmare sequence. So I think here having this so begins the end, that's, to me, that is a really, really powerful line because it's, it's pushing the audience towards the end and kind of moving into that last chapter of this five film arc. And I really wish we had gotten to see that play out because this would have been like the uh, the middle section that would have pushed us into the ending. And I think that would have been so cool to see that have played out. But unfortunately, the way this now sort of plays with that line is that um, this is marking the end of Zack Snyder's and uh, I guess you could say his DC film run yeah. that, uh, that he's been on. So, so begins the end. This is the end of Zack Snyder's take on these characters. But I think in the larger scope, it would have been really cool because then it would have gotten us to that nightmare sequence, which would have been sort of the ending um, and then coming out of it. So I think, ah, oh, that line has so much. It's only, what, four four words in that line so and it just has it has yeah. so uh so much uh weight to it so i i love four words love five syllables line. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um it's really cool the uh so begins the end uh you get a really nice look at his electro axe um which uh there's some fine details in it that i've never really noticed b- before because normally he's just swinging it uh, and so I can't take a good look at it. But when when he says so begins the end and, he, and he's just holding the axe for once, you can see the details underneath the blade, which has a very um, Geiger esque like this, like this Nostromo like wiring that's underneath it. So it definitely looks like it has some sort of me- mechanism to it or maybe it's glyphs of some sort, but it has this really nice uh um, detail to it that I really enjoy um, and I've always enjoyed the the design of Steppenwolf we we talked about it um, when when you were on uh, earlier uh, for the um, kind of 
Darkseid showing up in the um, uh, Pajornov power plant, um, and 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 Steppenwolf was was talking to Desaad as well. Um, the way that Steppenwolf talks and the way that they have like this Arthurian way of speaking to each other. Um, that then you get the line, so begins the end, and it has that uh, that kind of uh, aesthetic to it, the the flavor of, of their dialect, if you will. <laughs> um, and so I, I really enjoy just Steppenwolf as as a villain for these movies, like so sophisticated, civilized, but in the same way, like barbaric, like uh, like honorably barbaric in a way. Um, and then I really enjoy his character a lot. So it works. It works that way. You know, it works. Um, with the end of the Snyderverse, it works in, in the way of the, the five film arc that was to be. Um, it also works at like, I think um, Thursday is the start of part six. And so it's like, so begins the end of like this movie, like now we're getting to act three right? and we can, we can end here. Um, but yeah, Steppenwolf always, a, always a cool character. Um, glad to see him uh, in this as well. And I, and I think this, um, at least I hope so. I, th- I hope this design of Steppenwolf, um continues like in in dc continuity like i would i would much rather like the reception be so well received that steppenwolf gets more of a design like this in the future instead of um going back to him being more humanoid and and not matching dark side in a way that i feel like you know dark side has this design this overall shape to him that if you were to ask any artist draw dark side like they know how to draw dark side I hope that Steppenwolf's design sticks in a way where they're like, oh, can you draw Steppenwolf? And they're like, oh, yeah, of course. He's like this horned alien with this axe. Like, and I hope this design sticks. Not so much the chainmail. Like, that's, you know, Zack Snyder's thing with the whole alien chainmail. But at least the, the overall look of him, I hope, sticks in, in a way. The horns usually um, stays the same. Usually, you know, he's, he's humanoid yeah. with a goatee. Yeah. The... uh it's going to sound like a tangent, but they uh, kind of like the cousin to DC comics at this time would be uh, nether realm because they do injustice and they also do mortal Kombat. Yeah. So there's usually some sort of connective tissue between the two. They have a character. Uh, they have designed Shao Kahn now no to way. be a horned. And does he uh, have the beard goatee? He, like he has a mustache. He has, goatee? he has like, he has a, because in Mortal Kombat previously, he was also a humanoid who wore a helmet yeah. with horns. Yes. But now he is kind of like, um, he's got like reptilian skin and he's got like this horn, like his head has horns. Like he has this crest, kind of like Steppenwolf. And then he has an axe instead of his usual hammer. So he is So he looks like Steppenwolf. He is Steppenwolf. So, that is, yeah, he's, and, uh, is this Shao knowing- Kahn? This is new Shao Kahn? This is the new, the new, because they have rebooted yeah. Mortal Kombat. And now, so, so like... I'm sorry. Now this is a tangent. So, <laughs> this the new Mortal Kombat world is technically like a um, flashpoint. Yeah, it it is a flashpoint. So it, it is. They did. Like they, they did do. A and now Shao Kahn is Raiden. Like he is king. Like he's he's head of magic. Like he's he's the god. Uh, now. Raiden is just a normal person, and but Shao Luke Kahn is now Raiden. No, Liu Kang is now. Oh, Raiden. okay. Sorry, Liu Kang is now. It would Thunder be. God. It would be like if 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 Barry Allen had become Metron, basically, or yeah. Uh, don't 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 backpedal that. <laughs> Do not backpedal. <laughs> it's it's on pretty that much one. what happened. Would... It's pretty much what happened. It was like Barry Allen. Like, not only would he reset the universe, but now he now controls it. 
because he's making sure that it stays in balance. Oh boy, that's fun. But so that's, that's what really they did with their main character Liu Kang. It just anyway, that. Anyways, General Shao or Shao Kahn, however you want to refer to him, um, he looks exactly like Seth Wolf now in a way that they've designed him. And knowing Ed Boon loves the DC universe as well, it's like, oh, it, it, he looks just like him now. So, uh, really cool. But. I digress. It's a cool design. I love him. Um, let's talk about some cyborg. This is continuing off from yesterday's minute. Uh, one thing I want to start off first is a huge round of applause to the VFX team for doing what they do best with the motion capture and the performance capture for Ray Fisher as as cyborg here. Um, you'll see. Um, Ezra Miller as Barry Allen, he'll dash over to Cyborg. Really cool effect to show some sense of urgency. But as and friendship, Fisher, and friendship, and friendship, and friendship. <laughs> please don't, friendship. please don't forget about the friendship. This is like one of the most best friend <laughs> moments that you will ever see. This is such a good moment for the two of them. I'm so yeah. proud of Barry. <laughs> <laughs> you're right. You're right. Um, but I do. I like. I like this motion. I mean, this is this is a CGI robot, right? I mean, obviously Ray Fisher's there, but he's, he's in, doing that. He's though. in the pajamas and the LEDs, but in this moment, like to find his footing, to step up, he's putting the foot down. He's trying to get his balance. He's but he's also like in shambles and to shake and and and, and tremble and 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 kind of limp over towards the the broken apparatus here. Um, this visual effects team is doing such a great job with this. Like, how do we get this robot to look injured, to to walk injured, to to be distraught, like like broken servos and yeah, all of that stuff. There is such a, a a fine job with the way that they have finished the visuals for this movie, and and do it in a way that like looks like they spent such a, a, a you know a good amount of time doing it. Um, and and then of course Ray Fisher himself uh, with his own performance it's just like oh it's <laughs> we talked about emotionally yesterday this is this is the the aftermath of it and this shock and this revelation this um, almost um, depression for for Ray Fisher this movement that he's doing um, the 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 hurt walk I guess is what we're gonna call it. Um, it's so reminiscent of like stage direction, in my opinion. Um, I the thing that is like screaming in my head as I'm watching him like limp like that is uh, like a visualization of when Doctor Jekyll is turning into Mister Hyde, and it is that like whole body contortions that he's going through of this mm -hmm. transformation of character and becoming something different, um, something wretched, something, you know, wild as if, um, but cyborg here, it's, it's, it's like that pain. It's that same movement and it's that same kind of transformation, not physically, mentally. Um, but it's like such, such pain involved in all of this motion that he's going through. Um, it, I don't, I don't, I don't know. It's really stunning to me. Um, Ray, Ray Fisher is Shakespearean 
in my opinion, you know? I mean, yeah. it really is no, I mean, really, just it's his acting. background. This is not just <laughs> like a, okay, now like get up and do a couple limps and kind of like shake it off. It's like, no, you still need to remember that you're 90% a robot. So, you know, do robot stuff. Um, I don't know. It's just really good. He's re- He's really good in this moment. Yeah, when I watch it, I see his whole thought process happening. You know, he, his feet, he has to get his feet underneath him first. And then he's still s- sort of slumped over. So he, he takes it in pieces. Like he has to get his feet. Then he has to sort of figure out how to stand back up. And then he's having to move his head in certain ways. So I, I really appreciate this this scene because I think Ray Fisher, as an actor, who would have thought a lot about, especially playing Cyborg, you have to think about how you're going to move your body. How is this going to translate into being a robot? Because the visual effects can only go so far. It has to start with Ray Fisher's performance. And so I imagine that he really took it to heart. Like, how is Victor going to move in this moment? How is he going to pick himself back up? Because if it was me and I just saw my father sacrifice himself in front of my face, I probably would have stayed on the floor. I don't know that I would have picked myself back up. But I think for him, for Cyborg, he has to get back up and, and face this. And so I like that it's sort of this slow-moving thing about how does my body work again? How, how am I coming out of this? So he's he, very clearly to me, Ray Fisher has thought about all these these movements and how to make it work. And I think in the visual effects component, they're having to, I imagine, I, I would think that if, uh, if we asked the visual effects people how long it took for that like two, three second shot to get created, it probably was not <laughs> very fast. They probably had to take a lot of time, even just for those short little moments of seeing Cyborg move. That probably took a long time to keyframe it, to to make sure that all those parts were moving in a way that made sense for his, his body movements. Mm-hmm. So I think all of that has to come together. Then you have put it on top of it like sound effects. How does Victor or Cyborg sound while he's moving how does that sort of metal of his uh mechanical body how does that touch the ground how do how do things move so i think all of those components are just uh coming together very nicely here yeah yeah and and something i thought about in in the last minute as well yesterday was that the kind of i call them space walls because i think of star wars a lot but this mm-hmm. is a set like this isn't a green screen. This is a set right. that they that they have designed. And so it's one of those things as well. That's like it's amazing, not just the visual effects and then the time put into that, but like they crafted this this stage here, which lately in this movie, we've been talking about uh, some green screen, green screen backgrounds. You know, they shot this in Warner Brothers London, um, but this is a, a, a set here, a set stage. And um, it's it's nice to see, you know, like if we're talking about, you know, Cyborg stepping on metal, it's like, well, yeah, he's this they're actually performing like on grates and stuff. And so there's this thought of like, oh, like you're here on the soundstage. Like, what's it like to step on metal and stuff like that? I think it's, it's just it looks really nice to have these DC superheroes like in an environment like this that is kind of like it's Star Labs. It's something you kind of um, connect with. Um, and so to, to have these characters acting in this environment, it's 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 all around just like, oh, it feels really cool to have these superheroes in this kind of science lab um, and in the aftermath of it. everything's broken and shattered and, you know, having their moments here. And it's, it works out really well. And in talking about uh, the physical aspects of this scene and some of these moments, um, I really hadn't thought about it until we started talking about this minute that. 
um, Cyborg cries in this moment. His mm-hmm. father's died, and a tear comes from his eye. And I'd never really put it together that he could only cry out of one eye. His, mm. you know, his other, his other eye is a, is a, a light there. Uh, and and I guess there's other sort of mechanical parts to that eye, but uh, just uh, the fact that you know, it, I guess there's like a trope of when somebody cries in a film, it's the the one single teardrop of sadness. He, here, <laughs> he literally can only cry out of one eye, and I I I really hadn't put that together before that that sort of shows his humanity versus his mechanical parts that he has this very human moment where his father dies and instead of acting like a robot instead of leaning into that uh, uh electrical mechanical part of himself he allows himself to feel that emotion and you see that out of his one human eye that he has left and i think that's a that's a really good uh small little detail to really emphasize the uh the two parts of cyborg yeah the the human part in 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 all of us right like in touch with his humanity there you know there's that is what it's like yeah and it works so well i mean we've um we've talked about um was was it also your week as well he talked about his um he brought the mother box back to wayne aerospace and he was speaking very robotically he was very stern Mm -hmm. he was very much like you know my father woke up this box and like this and created me and turned me into this kind of thing um super robotic you know he was cyborg in that moment and he's and he feels like he's in control of the situation but now you come here and it's like his humanity is taken over and he's um his his robotic parts aren't working uh, optimally you know he's been injured and so he's struggling to to walk forward but then um it's his human will that is like carrying him at this moment and um it's the emotional toll so he's become where he was like super logical and now he's like all emotional um and it's it's good to see that it's good to see superheroes in this moment like having that as well not just heroics but um emotional value like to to project that like to to display that like like be emotional like it's okay like we want to see that um and 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 what he says here like i couldn't save him um like i couldn't i couldn't do anything like um and that he's gone and he, like he failed to stop Steppenwolf, like that too is um, it's really nice to hear. Like th- I don't need it for confirmation that he couldn't do anything about it, but I I enjoy um, the superhero wrestling with um, with failure, hmm. and I think that's important as well. It's like you can be heroic and and still fail, and kind of have like this emotional journey about it, like. Um, that it, it is tragic. It is tragic, of course, but I, I enjoy like the journey of that. <laughs> and I guess he's not the cyborg's not the only one, the only superhero dealing with failure in this minute either, because Aquaman comes in and he's like, "Great, his dad died. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is mm-hmm. this this is on us. We did. We caused this." Yeah. And so I think uh, Aquaman and Wonder Woman, who are both really um, strong in their stances, like Wonder Woman's like, no, this was the right move. We had to, we needed Superman. And Aquaman has been kind of against this idea the whole time. And so they're they're both kind of hashing that out about uh, their failure as well, because they, they couldn't save Silas. They couldn't stop what happened. They couldn't stop Steppenwolf. And so I guess they're all dealing with failure on some level and trying to decide whether or not their decisions 
uh, you know, have been correct in, in what they needed to do. So I think that that's uh, kind of interesting to look at it from Cyborg's perspective, but also to kind of consider these other people that have arrived on to the scene and how they deal with failure as well. Aquaman was is one of my my bigger notes here, and 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 that it was for that exact reason that um, his father is dead, and it's because of us and this mother box, and it spoke to me a lot. Um, I, I wanted to get into it today because it's something that we talked about. Aquaman, he's he's hesitant a lot, but he's not uncaring. In fact, he's probably the most protective of the planet. But being protective has its um, hesitations of like, I don't know about waking up this mother box. I don't know about bringing back Superman. I don't know about this team. I don't know about these aliens. All I know is that I need to protect this planet. And when you start to interfere with that, that's when I get involved because that pisses me off, Aquaman speaking. And his (laughs) father is a big um, figure in his life. Uh, It's all he has. He only has his father. And in in the Aquaman movie, it, it becomes a thing like his father is the only thing in his life. And I think it's going to be a really big part of the second one. You know, he is a father in the second movie. And I don't know what happens to Tamira Morrison's character. But uh, it looks like from the trailers that he does get injured. So we'll see what happens there. But Black Manta, his father died because of Aquaman. So there's this there's this fatherly aspect as well in Aquaman that gets played around with. Um, But this hurts Aquaman because he resonates with that. He empathizes with Cyborg when it's about his father, like his father's dead. It's because of us. And he's like, if that was my father, I'd be royally pissed, (laughs) you know, like I'd be super upset. you know, so he, he understands what Victor's going through because it's about his father. And like, he's their actions have caused the death of a loved one. And when we talk about protecting the earth, we did this because we activated that mother box. When I told you this was a bad idea and now someone on this earth has died from that. Like that's not protecting, that's getting us in trouble. Um, mm. And so for Aquaman, it's like, this This is upsetting. Like you wouldn't want your parents to die. Most of them have, but you wouldn't want that. So you should understand what he's going through now. Like this isn't some rite of passage for him. Like this is a mistake. Like you shouldn't have let this happen. So for Aquaman, it's like I am so glad he got to say something in this minute, and that Chris Terrio was like considered that, like writing that in. Like Aquaman needs to say something because this is what would make someone really angry. Is that you? You think that you're doing this thing for the greater good, like you're being these heroes, but then oops, you get someone killed. Like that's not what I signed up for. I didn't sign up to get, you know, this kid's father killed. Like, that was not part of the plan. Um, And so just to get Superman back to life, like, it's not about heroes. It's about these humans that we're here to protect. So um, to him, it's like Superman is not worth this. Mm. Yeah, well, and it's interesting that Aquaman was not present when Silas made the choice to sacrifice himself. So uh, from Aquaman's perspective they failed as a team because they couldn't save a person but silas technically didn't want to be saved right he put himself in that box and he made that choice to do what mm-hmm. he did and so aquaman doesn't have that information to be able to balance that sort of 
uh, I guess, nuanced view of things that, yes, Silas died, but he chose to do that in order to help them save the world. So I think from Aquaman's perspective, he sees that as a total failure of protecting people. And um, I can see why he would have that view. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Wonder Woman's uh, kind of retort is, is is interesting because normally we expect a Wonder Woman to be of, of this kind of shared empathy. Like she understands, like she has this compassion, but she she is speaking compassionately. It's just, it's coming off as like, no, this was still necessary, you know? And I'm not saying that I disagree with her, but I'm saying it's like, it's so strange that he's saying like, this death is on us. I told you not to wake up that mother box. Um, and she's, but she's saying like, we need to, this needed to happen. Like we needed Superman. Like the world still needs him. Um, it's just, it's just interesting. Like um, that, that, that is her response. Like it, I'm sure the Athena part of her is like seeing a few steps ahead, but it also comes off like, it's very strange. Like there's, there is caring there, but there is also like we need to move forward. So it's a very, um, almost like a doctor's way of speaking, like or or a warrior's <laughs> way of speaking, a soldier's way of speaking. You know, yeah. if you're out on the battlefield and you see, you know, one of your uh, fellow soldiers die, that's tragic and it's sad, but it's all part of uh, what you signed up for, I guess, in terms of like you fight a war and you're you're all part of this thing to try to achieve this end. And mm. so I guess maybe in her mind, it's, uh, you know, she's speaking from that warrior part of herself that yeah. she knows this is sad and this is this is a, a, a terrible thing for Victor. But I think she's looking at it from the, the bigger battle perspective of like, we made the right decision. This is a very sad moment for Cyborg and we all have to work through it. But we made the right decision. And I think she's trying to reinforce that to them, that the better things are coming. You know, I think there's, there's an encouraging part of that in some strange way that like, she's trying to reinforce to them. We made the right decision. This is the thing that we needed to do in order to help save the world. Cause without Superman, we cannot defeat him. So I think there's, there's a really uh, complicated response in her answers that I, I sort of see her as uh, channeling that warrior part of herself that has to go up against mm. this, uh, this ancient alien God, as it were. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think that actually explains it perfectly. I gladly accept that. And I, once you said like the warrior mindset, then I was like, Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. That I see. So yeah, that, that totally tracks. Um, it's almost like this, um, the war of attrition, right? Like it's like, We've lost someone, but a price to be paid, I guess. <laughs> yeah, you you have to keep moving in yeah. a way, even though even though you want to take that moment to recognize what happened, you have to still kind of keep moving forward. Mm-hmm. Um, Aquaman then follows up. He says um, that that's not Superman. He has his his powers, his abilities, um, but that is not Superman. What we what we resurrected is not him. Um, of course, but you know, before Batman says anything. But does anyone have anything they want to add on to that? Or shall we go into what Batman says? We can go into what Batman says. <laughs> well, the only other thing I would talk about um, before I guess we leave kind of the Silas death of it all is that I thought it was really interesting that um, Silas makes this sacrifice in that box room. Mm. And then um, Steppenwolf moves into that room. Like he takes Silas's place and grabs the box. And that's how... 
he leaves through the boom tube. And I, I just thought that was really interesting in terms of like um, here was this noble sacrifice that happened there. And then the villain sort of steps in and takes his place. I just I just thought that was an interesting visual. Kind of an insult, would you think? <laughs> yeah, he's rubbing it in like your father couldn't get out of this box and he died here. But here I am. I came. I've conquered what I came to achieve. And then I'm leaving and I'm able to escape. Yeah, it's a total insult. It's yeah. totally rubbing it in Cyborg's face that he has come and he's conquered and he's defeated them in this situation. Standing yeah. directly in front of the super laser as well. Just like in the line yes. of fire of that thing too without even caring that it could go off or, or hurt him or anything. It's just like, yeah, just stepping right into that shot right in front of the gun and just being like i won I when you it. conquer yep. five thousand worlds you, you probably laugh at all the conventional weaponry that they've tried to use on you i guess right. <laughs> he's so used to it at this point um one note i do want to say before we go into batman and it is still just back on steppenwolf at the very beginning <clears throat> i think his line of so begins the so begins the end so begins the end is that pantometer is he still speaking in pantometer no 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 it would have to, well no it, da it would have bum, to be at least a bum so begins yeah, the end five so, it's five yeah yeah that's i don't easy. don't know if it's iambic but it's a it's a meter <laughs> <laughs> that's a cool thought though. it's really cool i mean it just kind of goes back to the way that you know uh, apocalyptans speak to each other um very just in that iambic kind of sense um, mm -hmm. very cool yep i wonder if, if, if maybe chris terrio did consider that like maybe they speak in iambic pent pentameter like but then you'd have to you'd have to really try to get every word correctly yeah but that I would don't be think that would be incredible i don't think it's the all the way through but maybe maybe yeah, there's but, hints of it yeah 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 it'd be good it'd be really cool um Yes, I. It's uh, just Steppenwolf. It's such a great character. Again, it's one of those things we talked about with um, Silas Stone. It's okay to have a character be really cool and then really and then die off in the same film. Like it's okay to have that as long as the character sells that performance, and then you can always go back and be like, "I want to watch this movie because this one has Steppenwolf in it." Yeah, um, that's that's when it works for you. Um, but yeah, so. I'm gonna bring this up, and then I want to I want to think back to some of the other moments that it happens in this movie. But Aquaman, he's talking about Superman. That's not Superman. He has you know he has his powers, but that's not the same Superman that died. And then Batman shows up and he says it is him because you know when Lois Lane showed up, and then it cuts off there. But Batman having this really cool entrance through this smoke and fog, right? Like you have the silhouette of Batman, Ben Affleck, and this batman suit and he walks in it's like a really cool shot in this entire movie except for one scene he's had really cool entrances like everything they've chosen to do has been really cool uh except two weeks ago we noticed there was just the weirdest like not very Zack snyder entrance of batman uh, do you remember this one nathan outside when he's outside with the cars with the Humvees, right? Yeah, and, yeah. And yeah. he's just like, <laughs> oh yeah. And he's just checking in on in one Heroes of the soldiers. Park, where he just like casually walks in. Hey, what's up? Yeah. Yeah, he was just like <laughs> casually walking in in the suit. It was almost like Batman at like a kid's birthday party. It was so <laughs> strange because when we talk about the way Zack Snyder loves Batman and like all these gorgeous moments, like if Batman's gonna enter a scene 
it's going to be done in this really cool way. Uh, and then we and then we had that moment with with him walking around the Humvee and then checking in on some soldier. It felt so much like I don't know that this was Zack Snyder. But then we come back here and it like it what this is is like this is a casual entrance for Batman. Like it wasn't super grandiose. It's not like Batman's here. But it is in a way that Zack Snyder always does that. Like anytime Batman does enter a room, it's going to be done in some Batman way. Uh, and I just wanted to note that here because this is this is taking that into consideration. Like it doesn't matter how small of an entrance it is, like it has to say Batman. Yeah. And and then when we think back at, at Heroes Park, it was like, what was that? Is that was that Zach? Was that someone else? Was that another was another team? Was this like in between him having to leave? And and you know, it it's just one of those moments where I, I think back and I go, as time goes on, I think, I don't know that that was Zach who did that scene, you know, at all. Um and so it's it's really interesting to think about. The more I see small snippets of batman doing anything it's just like oh that has like Zack snyder's dna yeah whereas like that scene it was like i don't know who did that and we were we were talking about heroes park for a bit with travis bow and it just seemed like there was like this concept of of the justice league fighting superman but then the more you watch it the more you go like oh, here's the Zack Snyder part. And then later on, you'd be like, I don't know who did that part. That doesn't seem like, <laughs> it doesn't, doesn't match. match. Yeah, it didn't match. But here we have it. Here, we, you know, he comes in, he comes in the silhouette, very much like um, a little bit kind of like the, um, like the Lex Luthor part with like the CCTV footage of him dropping in and just yeah. having the silhouette and coming out. But like here you have it, like he's coming through and it's like, super silhouette um it's really nice i really enjoy that and it looks you know it's great to have ben affleck in, in the suit and walk in um and, and just start talking like he's just been part of the conversation yeah it is really <laughs> cool just to see that yeah and that's intentionally just for batman because it's not like that shot the the smoke came in just for batman's shot it's been there the whole time you see the shot with wonder woman and aquaman aquaman and the flash and the smoke is kind of billowing in the background so it's there but he doesn't show aquaman coming in over that smoke he doesn't show wonder woman coming over that smoke it's intentionally left just for batman so uh i think that's uh, a really cool way to introduce characters into the scene and that's something that uh, i think would be a trademark for Zack snyder and i think it's right to call it out when it doesn't look right uh, because character reveals and bringing characters in uh to the scene in in such a um like a like a spotlit way almost where it's like ah this character yes. is here uh, that's very much a Zack Snyder thing he's done that uh from from across all these DC films uh so I think it's uh it's something to it's worth noting when it isn't quite that way but I think here it's uh, played up uh to a, a really magnificent uh way here with Batman mm -hmm. I want to see the script and I want to count how many times enter Batman is is printed <laughs> honestly yeah, yeah. like they wrote just his name specifically mm -hmm. all caps yeah. yeah yeah we'll have to take a note when uh we did it with army of the dead uh, when when i saw army of the dead in theaters it was like counting the hand shots like looking for because i the Zack snyder hand shot that's like very iconic um but the when when it comes time for rebel moon 
those characters will they have iconic entrances will they will they have something that he's like defined like okay when this character enters the room like they have to look this cool or this spaceship opens up and <laughs> the you know the landing pad opens up like i have to look for because he wants this to be a big franchise so how will he orchestrate like these big scenes to reveal new characters because there's a whole mass of characters that he's created for this new franchise so rebel moon will be interesting to see like all the little bits and pieces of of each character so um excited to see that one you should be on your cruise you should see if they have a projector and be like hey can i watch a movie yeah. real quick <laughs> yeah i wonder i wonder if they'll have a netflix queued up so that i can be like hey uh can we just throw this up on the uh lido deck yeah. screen yeah. uh yeah uh, the the big screen up there yeah yeah the sound the sound is garbage on cruise ships oh is it screens, i've never but, been on but i'm sure it'd be it would look cool on a on a big screen <laughs> there you go yeah um i'm sure they do like uh movies by the pool or something right yeah, they have like movies. I don't know what they call it uh, on like uh, princess cruises, but they, it's like kind of movies under the stars kind of thing where you're outside and you're you're watching stuff outside. Oh, that sounds like fun. It is pretty cool, but it's it is hard to hear. The, some of the audio is not very good. Oh, yeah, looks it looks cool. Yeah, and they give you free popcorn. So free that. popcorn? <laughs> I bet they had to scoop so much popcorn out of the pool. Afterwards. That's what I was thinking. Like how much popcorn's <laughs> getting in the pool? That's great. Uh, boy, what a mess. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they have great uh, cleaning crews. Yeah, uh, on cruise ships. Um, well, I think that's all I have for this one because I know Batman's gonna, uh, he's gonna be really Batman this week. Uh, in these later minutes. Yeah. Uh, so um, any any other notes for for this minute in particular? The only other one I made note of is that uh, Aquaman and Wonder Woman, uh, their dynamic in this film in particular, I think is, uh, it always reminds me of the Flashpoint Paradox and how Mm -hmm. they're kind of an old married couple. You know, they sort of bicker at one another and they sort of, uh, I think Aquaman recognizes that Wonder Woman is a leader of this group and he's sort of pushing back at her in a way and she doesn't back down either. She kind of stands her ground and so I think if they had uh, taken the nightmare to like its full flashpoint paradox position, because I think uh, it was revealed that eventually they were going to move towards a flashpoint something or other to sort of wipe uh, wipe the slate clean for whoever came next. Um, so I think that was kind of in the works. So if they did ever play that up with uh, Aquaman and Wonder Woman uh, being romantically inter- intertwined in that sort of flashpoint world, I think it would have worked uh, because they had done a lot of buildup with them in these in these kinds of scenes where uh, you sort of saw them uh, interact in, in ways that the Atlantean Amazon part of them were connected in, in either it was a sort of a bickering way or uh, a way where they kind of came together. So I like the way that they played up the Aquaman Wonder Woman stuff, particularly particularly in scenes like this where they they really have to work through their uh, cultural differences, I guess you could say, between the two uh, the two people. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I I just wanted to to note that. Yeah, that's a that's a really good one to point out the, the cultural differences. I mean, we we saw it again when they are at Clark's grave. Um, right. Yeah, and then uh, they will work together at the end of the film as they fight Steppenwolf. And there was something I really enjoyed, um, even in the theatrical cut, was seeing Wonder Woman and Aquaman fighting Steppenwolf together. And being like, oh yeah, these are your two powerhouses, and they, um, you know, it's it's it, that to me was another thing. It's like I've always wanted to see more Aquaman and Wonder Woman being very opposite culturally as Amazon and Atlantean. I want to see more of that, and um, 
I'd hope I hope to see more of that in in the DC universe, but we'll see. <laughs> and I think it plays up the thematic element here of unity of these characters coming mm-hmm. from these yeah. different backgrounds and and being so uh, divided towards the beginning and and at the end when we do see them fighting together as a team, they're unified. And um, so you not only have that mother box unity, but you have the unity within the Justice League. So I think it it all sort of plays together. It all plays together. The unity is such a yeah. such a smart word to use for such a powerful <laughs> world killing device. Um, but then yeah, the Justice League as well, and the Age of Heroes as we talked about earlier. Um, right. So it all it all it's it's it has a very smart foundation to it. I just wish it had time to. Um, to grow and to, to really bloom. Uh, but yeah. All right. Well, we're going to wrap up for today. If you've enjoyed today's show, please consider leaving us a five-star review. It really does help the show and it helps new listeners discover the show as well. If you'd like to join in on the conversation, you can find us on Twitter at DCEU Minute. And if you'd like bonus content, we have a Patreon for just $3 with tons of other podcasts to listen to. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you here next time on DC Cinematic Minute.